Well, welcome to the Sense Making the Changing World show, Jack. It's an absolute delight to have you. This is a special series as part of Urban Agriculture Month hosted by Sustain Australia. And uh, really the whole point of this is to celebrate urban agriculture in Australia in all its many forms. And I know from the conversations that we've just been having about that you've got your fingers into lots of different aspects of urban permaculture. So thank you for coming along and being part of the conversation today. Oh, that's all right. Thank you. I would never turn down the opportunity to talk about urban agriculture. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it's very much in my, in my, um, oh gosh, in my heart too. When I first finished doing a permaculture design certificate way back in the 90s, the first thing I did was to start a city farm, a Northy Street city farm. And oh, you know, I was a whole, just there the other day. Yeah, right. So the whole kind of focus around bringing urban permaculture, urban community permaculture, looking at how to ripple out these ideas as far and wide so that these places become also educational spaces. So I know that all the different projects that you've been involved in are also educational as well from the sounds of it. So um, maybe let's just begin. How did you find yourself becoming an, an urban permaculture, urban agriculture advocate, activist? Well, look, probably the easiest place to start is I did a degree back in 2006 in environmental management. I was pretty worried about the state of the world. I'd been working in international development and seen some really unsustainable development practices. And so I guess came to that environmental management lens um, from that perspective. It was a great course, but very, you know, very university focused and really teaching people how to be functionaries in a dysfunctional system, a lot of corporate social responsibility. I got to the end of that and I had all the fear and no idea, <laughs> had no practical skills or experience, um, but I had a real, you know, understanding of the climate crisis and what we were facing, you know, over the next, I guess, 20 years and a really clear time frame, you know, for emissions goals that we had to hit. And so pretty much straight after that, I started getting really interested in permaculture, did an intro to permaculture with John Champagne, then went down and did a, a two-week um, course down at Bermagui at the Crossing and absolutely changed my life as it does for most people who do a PDC. And from there, couldn't get a job in sustainability, um, stayed doing what I was doing in international development, but a group of us, um, four friends in Wollongong started Permablitz. And I think for me, it, it was just completely life-changing, particularly because of how much sharing was involved. You know, for Permablitz Melbourne to have written those amazing guides, mm-hmm. those how-to guides for the hosts, for the, you know, event organisers, the facilitators, we didn't have to reinvent the wheel up here. We could just grab that and run with it. And we sort of had three properties between us and went, oh, well, if no one comes, you know, we'll have three parties at our house and go from there. And the support from the community in the Illawarra here was overwhelming. I think by the third blitz, we had 60 people turning up. And it's, you know, sort of been so involved in that for 10 years. For those people who don't know what Perma Blitz is, who might be listening from another part of the world, um, can you just give us an overview of what Perma Blitz is and how it works? Yeah, so um, it's really a day where the community can come together and make over someone's property, you know, based on permaculture principles. There's a whole lot of lead time that goes in that no one on the day would see where designers work with someone or a family um, to work out, you know, the priorities for their property, the goals, um, and then, you know, give them best practice permaculture design and then get the community together in one day to do that. And if you come along to three, you're allowed to put your hand up and say, I want to and come to my place. So it's an amazing way to build in your community, but also, um, you know, just to connect with your community. We get people turning up who never want to host one, but they just love coming. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. I think what, what we should do is make sure we keep a list of all the different resources that you're mentioning and uh, drop the links down the 
down the bottom in the show notes. So um, we'll make those uh, Permablitz uh, links available to people. That's, yeah, and look, it's, for anyone who's interested in, in starting out as a designer as well, it's a really great way to cut your teeth as well because you're not paid for the design. There's no money involved in Permablitz at all. And so it is a great way to start practising. Um, yeah. And we, we learned so much through that process. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, when you when you do a permaculture design certificate course, it's you, it, a lot of doors are opened. But as then, it's the practice of permaculture. It's the ongoing learning. It's the implementation. It's the sharing. It's the conversations that happen, deepening into your local community and local environment and local climate and local experience. That is really what fleshes out that kind of framework that you're handed in a in a permaculture course so permaculture and I think it, yeah. it's an amazing way for people to find you know their special superpower as well you know for we had a designer who you know her passion was drawing and and you know actually you know creating the designs but we had another one who was just the green thumb she could grow anything we had me who I was like I, I don't know if I can bring anything to permaculture you know I'm a project manager <laughs> I'm really good at admin <laughs> <laughs> you know, is, is that a skill that was needed? And it really was as a facilitator. And then we had someone else who was amazing at the social media, the marketing, the email list and things like that. So it was also really about recognising that not everyone has to go and follow the same path in permaculture. Yeah, so you create this sort of ecology of an organisation where you're it's all sort of this. Beautiful network that's way stronger for, you know, the sum of all of its parts. Yeah. So so where did the permablitz take you? Where Once you started doing that, what? What um what did that unfold into next for you? Look, for me, I mean, for, for us as a community, it unfolded into just this amazing community. For me personally, it meant that I could get my first job in sustainability. Um, when I was going for a job at the University of Florida, I saw Permablitz, you know, that I'd, you know, coordinated and facilitated Permablitzes and they're like, oh, she sounds great. And so that was a real surprise to me that volunteering could be there the thing that unlocked the door, not my fancy degree or my, you know, 12 years of work experience. Hey, let's just, like, that is such an important point that you just made. I, I experienced the same thing as well. You know, I went through a, a environmental um, planning and design course, a landscape architecture course, and, yeah, the same thing in terms of getting work or creating work. It came through that experience in volunteering and the practice. Absolutely, and that's what I say to everyone. You know, I, I know for a lot of people volunteering is not always possible, but even if you can just give a little bit of time, it's such a good way to get skills and experience yeah yeah and likewise now as someone who coordinates a lot of volunteers I love working with volunteers and finding out why you're here you know what can we do as an organization to support you to take the next step you need as well yeah yeah that used to be my role too when we were getting started down at Northeast Street City Farm and I'd be the person who'd always been kind of like we, we didn't have any water or power or anything down the city farm when we started. I used to have to go down to the the tap down near the river and carry buckets of water and oh, I'd boil up the billy <laughs> on a like a little campfire in the middle. And I was there welcoming people, like I was the kind of the welcome committee. And people would come in and find out yeah what they were interested in and then buddy them up with people so that we started to you know build those skills and strengthen the networks that were there already and and people would quite quickly find their place in that yeah. community when they, they want to take ownership over but also volunteers come to us with this wealth of experience too so it's finding out you know what they bring because we get volunteers who are you know so highly skilled in certain areas it's oh wonderful to work with them. absolutely I know it's amazing so you mentioned too that you worked with a project called um Green Connect yeah, so unfortunately the role at the university lasted about six months and then Tony Abbott got voted into government and we were literally sat down and said the head of environment sacked. Um, you'll just have to wait out this election cycle till the environment's back in fashion and back on the agenda. And I wasn't prepared to sit on my hands for three years and so I took a chance and 
um, I think I took an $80,000 pay cut and um, took on a two-day-a-week job with Green Connect and it was, I think, a three-month contract, something like that. Um, and at the time we were working as volunteers to save the farm site that had already been established but that the funding had run out on, and that's a 12-acre permaculture farm here in the Illawarra and Warralong. And then I, my role also very quickly became working in zero waste, so managing waste at big music festivals and events um, and working in an employment creation process to support former refugees for their first employment experience in Australia, which when you're sorting out uh, huge bins of, of, you know, all manner of stuff, it's really easy to teach someone how to do that with zero English. Um, so, yeah, a really, a really interesting project and one that's, that's um, going strong today. Yeah, so can you tell us a bit more about Green Connect and and how and its involvement in in um and working with refugees and young farmers as well? Yeah, I think when when I came to the project, it was sort of um, a fairly new idea and was a fairly small project. And there was a team of us who came together, one to save the farm site, and that was partly because all of the former refugees who were being supported at that point were surveyed, and over fifty percent came from farming backgrounds. And you know were way more highly skilled than than um, any of the organisers in terms of farming. So to create a space where people could use those skills, um, it was also based at a local high school on Department of Education land, and an amazing school, Warrawong High School, because every feeder primary school has a, a permaculture garden as part of the living classroom program that Aaron Sorensen and Dan Dayton um, have been working on, you know, tirelessly down here for over twenty years. Um, then they've got the permaculture garden at the high school and then the farm site. And the idea of the farm site was that kids who weren't throwing in the classroom would be able to get some paid work experience um, out on the farm. And it's certainly grown and changed over the years, but um, a couple of the, the young students I worked with, you know, up to sort of seven, eight years ago were, you know, still in employment at the farm, um, you know, in the, last, in the last year or so. And so where does the food go to like who who uses the farm how does it work yeah look uh, predominantly it's a csa system so i at um when i left i think we were feeding around about 200 households a week um with drop-off points and delivery um you know quite quite a big enterprise and watching during covid in particular the explosion i think we went from 100 customers to 200 almost overnight you know people suddenly realize oh we need food security and we need this in our urban areas we can't have this far away you know we saw that with the fires and the floods you know those supply chains are long and they're not particularly effective you know in a crisis situation so it was interesting to see you know the uptake and people I think having that aha moment that you know urban agriculture and growing food where we live is really important. So you have this farm and you've got all the school programs and you've got permablitz programs so there's obviously a big focus on on this in your area. I wonder what the local government or other agencies in in your area are doing to support that, or what more they could be doing to support that kind of program? Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that as well, and I'm interested to hear from anyone who knows more because I'm not particularly connected in the local government area. But I think it is something that we're starting to really hear more and more that local governments are realising urban agriculture needs to be a priority. I was in a presentation recently with someone from Hong Kong, and he was talking about how Singapore have suddenly said, "Oh, we want to source." I can't remember the stat, but I think it was, you know, up to 60% of all their food from Singapore locally within Singapore and, you know, how urban Singapore is. Um, I think Canberra have recently come out um, with a a local government strategy saying they want to achieve food security and setting targets for how much food we can produce. 
And, you know, it's not necessarily going to be our wheat crops or, you know, um, maybe even our rice or our, our lentils, but certainly lots of those things that are lovely to have fresh, you know, that you want to um, be able to grab, like your green, you know, your leafy greens, all your salad, your veggies should be able to be grown, you know, within a really close local area. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, then it saves all the transportation and all the refrigeration and all the loss of product as it's as it's going between places. It makes so much more sense. And then as we've seen more recently, you know, if one area is hit by a disaster, which we know we're going to be increasing to come, it doesn't knock that out for everyone else. So hopefully we can build more, you know, resilience um, in that way. I and then I'm really interested in how we can then wrap that into regeneration, you know, so that we're moving beyond resilience and actually you know, improving the amenity and improving the, you know, urban greening, the biodiversity and all of the things that we need to rapidly do in our urban areas. Mm. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about you, when you said you finished university, you'd like, you learned about all the things that were going wrong, but you felt like the, that sense of fear, like, well, what can I do about it? How have you found that that shifted in you? Like, we still know that all of that's there. But how has being involved in permaculture shifted that and how have you been able to also be a communicator of these these ideas differently because of your experience with urban agriculture and permaculture? I think what I've loved, and certainly, don't get me wrong, I have many dark days, you know, when you see certain news reports come out or when you maybe make the mistake of reading in detail those thousand-page IPCC reports, but... um you know, it's that we've got this huge opportunity, the problem's the solution, right? So we, you know, we absolutely need to use this energy that everyone's got and, you know, try and turn that fear and that anxiety into positive action and showing people that, you know, you can start at your back doorstep, you can do something. And I think for me, it, it was a bit of a roundabout journey. I was maybe that that waste warrior for a while that was shaming people for using one straw or a plastic cup or something like that. I think it's also... Um, you know, about doing that with your community. All these individual actions mean nothing unless we do them together. So I'm really interested in how we build a community around that and build projects in our communities that support people to feel like they're acting together, not just, you know, sitting at home trying to collect all the plastic in a mason jar or something like that. Yeah, and it's absolutely essential, isn't it? Because, you know, that whole idea of making people feel bad or, you know, like, or just feeling like you're alone in this and just a little bit this and a little bit that, together with all of us, and then speaking up, we're able to get the kind of systems change that needs to, to happen. And I think it, it really Absolutely. is a systemic approach that we need to focus on. It is. And I'm I'm in a position at the moment where I'm asked occasionally to do guest lectures at uni. And one of them, they asked me to be a guest lecturer in an environmental activism course. And I was like, God, oh, you know, I guess I guess what I'm doing is activism, but I don't see it, you know, as, you know, out there on the front lines of activism. But it is, it's that, you know, those daily changes that make a difference. But I was asked to speak as a utopian project. Absolutely devastating because if growing food locally is seen as utopian, we're, we have some serious work to do. So I, you I know, really take it. Now, you know, how do we move it from utopia, you know, to uh, to something that's just our everyday? Yeah, yeah. I, I take I take a leaf out of the, um, the Perma Youths book um, because they talk a lot about um, practivism. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of that it's the everyday practical positive activism and that is permaculture and it's they deeply in, see themselves as climate activists but through the lens of of permaculture and I and I just absolutely love that. And so I use I use that a lot in terms of thinking about, you know, being a, being an activist and stepping up and speaking up about the things that are going on in the world and so um 
Yeah, and I think too this idea of of taking it into the universities um, is becoming more. I just spoke into um, University of Tokyo the other day, and oh, wow. so you know, getting invited too to speak into different um, like masters programs, bachelors programs, even speaking at you know various summits and conferences that are being organised by universities. There's something about what's been happening in the permaculture movement and urban agriculture movement that I feel is 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 kind of been a bit of a missing link sort of in yeah. terms of what, you know, and, and it because it's kind of community generated, because it's very grounded, very practical, very accessible, but also deeply reflective of systems thinking and all the latest yeah. science that we have, it's, it's the visible edge of that. Absolutely. And for me, you know, I've, I've always been really interested and sort of really picked up and run with permaculture because there's nothing else that gives you that, you know, holistic systems view. Um, and universities, you know, traditionally have had lots of little silos all working on amazing things. But yeah, I think everyone's realizing that we've got to stop compartmentalizing and, you know, building silos. We've actually got to start looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, because that's sort of the thinking that's got us into this situation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Definitely. It's probably best to have a look at it from a more holistic view. And I think it's great that universities seem to be embracing the generalists a little bit more as well. Um, certainly the environmental management course, you know, it's not about becoming a specialist um, in a certain area, but the course that I teach in it, you know, it is about embracing generalists. Yeah, so um, we haven't really talked about that yet, but you actually teach permaculture in a university. You certify yeah, people to become permaculture designers in a university. That's not that common. It's I, I'm realising that as, as I go <laughs> along and, you know, maybe a little bit nuts to take it on, but uh, I was offered the opportunity, um, the old master's program that I did, as I said, was really focused on corporate social responsibility and an amazing new associate professor took over that program and I did a couple of guest lectures as an alumni and in each lecture I basically told the same story I've told you, you know, did the MEM course, came out of it with all the fear, no idea, had to go study permaculture. And she said, I've heard you say this in a few lectures now, would you come and teach permaculture? And I thought, uh, no, but I can find you someone who would do that, you know, and then went home to my partner and she was like, say yes, you know, you've got 10 years experience doing this. We don't have time for people to wait to have 40 years experience, you know, uh, to be able to step up into these roles. You've done that master's program. You know what's involved, right. you know what was missing for you. So put those two things together. Yeah. Um, but I was also really aware that, you know, a PDC is quite a big commitment and a lot of students would want to be able to do that. They're paying thousands of dollars in hex fees anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I, I said, look, I'll do it as long as I can run it as a PDC. And it's only 30 hours face-to-face, I think, but there's a lot of take-home activities. There's, you know, a couple of hours of work to make up that 72-hour course. And we do a field trip, which last year with COVID we weren't able to do, which was the first time I'd run it. That was really difficult. But this year did a field trip to some amazing sites in Sydney and down in the Illawarra. And, you know, that was just mind-blowing, you know, to have students in their reflections saying, oh, I watched a video and I read about digging a swell, but now I'm digging a swell with my friends. You know, that was um, that to me is the life-changing stuff that you often don't get at universities. It's that hands-on practical, yeah. um, really going, living it, seeing it, um, that I'm really keen to bring to that as well. And so the feedback from, from the university has been positive about, because this is this needs to be shared, every, you know, every university. Yeah, no, absolutely. So does it sit as an elective or does it sit as a core subject? Like how does it work? It sits as an elective. Um, alongside a bunch of other amazing electives, including one which is an Indigenous Knowledge and Caring for Country course, um, which 
I kind of, you know, almost force the students. I'm like, you must do that one as well. You know, this is something that we really need to explore more in permaculture. Um, but yeah, it's not a core course, but there's a lot of students like we're, we're able to fill the course each year and it's been, it's been really popular. So yeah, feedback so far is great. Um, I think, I'm not sure if I can say it on video, but I think, you know, I'm bringing the end academia and the non-formal education somehow combining that I think with the education and keen each year how I can do more and more of that you know less lectures more mm. amazing group work I just came off a permaculture teacher training course with Rosemary Moore and Brenna Quinlan so I'm heads exploding with ideas on how I'm going to change it for next year oh fantastic that's great I was actually I did a um uh, interview with with Ro when you must have been on the other side of the door she was outside sitting um having oh, yeah. <laughs> So there you, fantastic. yeah, that sounded fantastic. It was a great course. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think this idea of bringing in a different perspective into university course, I used to um, teach into the food, polit- um, into Griffith University in a food politics course, and it wasn't a PDC curriculum, but I, I wove in as much as I possibly could in every single lesson and, you know, took in huge amounts of plants and all of the students ended up having gardens at the end of it. And one of the projects, we were looking at food waste and and um, they could choose whatever they want to do for their project. And some of them actually went out dumpster diving and then came back and organised a great big feast for the whole class out of the dumpster we diving. We need to talk because I, I do have that as one of the bonus activities and no one's ever taken me up. Oh, wow, it was so I'll great. I'll make that compulsory for next yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> look, it was just mind-blowing. I mean, that's and- that's our zone four. That's our foraging, right? In yeah, urban areas. Yeah, and so right. I'm really passionate as well about how we can say to people, you know, zone five isn't a national park over there. It's that degraded waterway that's near your house that you can, you know, have an impact in in regenerating. Um, yeah. You know, make them map out all five zones of permaculture on their map. And some of them, you know, they might be quite far away, but that's to me where, you know, where are our zone threes? They're our city farms, aren't they? They're our urban farms. You know, they're the sort of areas that we need to start embracing and you know what role might you play in that and for some people it's like I'll just be a customer and that's great that's all that's all we need other people are like oh I want to go and be a community organizer or a volunteer or you know there's so many different ways to get involved even just on a balcony yeah Yeah, I think it's so important to really look at those those roles because often people go oh look I I can't garden or I'm not going to get into that but it's not just about the growing of the vegetables (laughs) is it it's like no, it's absolutely. Every I, I single thing. I carrot to save my life. I just yeah. can't do it. But I'm through. Put a permaculture to... lens on yeah. what you do. Exactly. And then, it's, then all of a sudden the world looks different. Yeah. And my, my role at Green Connect now is to buy a box of veggies every week and then you know, not have to worry about growing half that stuff. I can focus on leafy greens and herbs that grow well in my shady garden. You know? And help to organise and educate and myceliate a whole lot of other action, which absolutely. is, which is, um, Maybe if you maybe we could start talking a little bit about um, pocket city farms now because that's somewhere where you're spending a fair bit of your energy these days. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about pocket city farms? Because I know that it's uh, it's quite close to the centre of Sydney, and I know it's been going for some time now, and it's a huge hub for people. So absolutely. So. Yeah, our founders, Emma and Zag, in I think, you know, back, uh, I can't remember the first year they started talking about it, but by 2015, you know, they wanted to showcase urban agriculture in Sydney and, you know, Melbourne seemed further ahead, you know, Brisbane, you had Northey Street, Sydney seemed a bit a bit lacking in that area and they were really inspired by Brooklyn Grange and the rooftop farming over in New York and assumed they'd end up on a rooftop somewhere 
and to their delight found that the old Camperdown Bowls Club had been abandoned mm-hmm. um, and was crown land. So it had to remain um, community, you know, a place that was accessible to their local community. So they partnered up with, of all people, the Camperdown Hilston Park RSL. Um, they put up the money to redevelop the site and redevelop the Bowls Club into a restaurant um, with the idea of having a farm-to-table restaurant. And in terms of getting the farm side of things started, there was a crowdfunding campaign. So, again, there's the community, you know, helping to build the change. Um, And in 2016, the farm opened up for the first time and has been going strong ever since. I um, was made redundant from my role at Green Connect in, I think, 2020. And that's when I started um, working with Pocket City Farms. And when I walked in, the entire site had been put under green renewal. We had, you know, people regularly contacting us saying, has the farm been abandoned? You know, what's going on? There was a huge staff change. But my colleague Rob and I came in at the time and then quickly recruited another amazing farm manager, Rich, who'd been working down on his own CSA system in Wee Jasper, supplying to the Canberra market. Um, and so I guess we were sort of the new team that took it forward from there um, and really saw that you know it is it's a pretty small site it's 1200 meters squared it's two bowling greens we only got two of the four bowling greens um you know that's as big as my backyard in Wollongong so you know it's really it's it's a demonstration site it's a it's a real hub as you said you know I've we run team retreat programs for corporate groups looking to do corporate volunteering I had a team that walked from the city the other day because they were trying to get their steps up you know so it's it's right up we do a lovely sort of zoom out on google maps and you can see just how close it is to the city but it has, you know, it's really become a place where the community can connect. We run a lot of education programs for students as well. And for a lot of students, they've never seen a vegetable growing. You know, this is the first thumbnail of experience, getting their hands in the soil, um, seeing how a market garden operates. Um, we've got a little demonstration garden to show what's possible in a tiny Sydney terrace-sized backyard. Um, and really, I guess I've worked in the last two years to try and wrap that market garden in, you know, in a whole permaculture system and really look at how we can use every edge space. We've got a community food forest on the verge out the front, um, which is going from strength to strength and um, about 180 metres squared of, of uh, food to share with the community. There's an honesty stall. There's a street pantry where people can drop off dried goods and we run lots of volunteering programs as well. So people can come and farm volunteer. Uh, we do a community volunteering session during um, daylight savings on a th- the third Thursday of every month, and we do a big community meal. It's sponsored by Young Henrys, which is lovely over them. Um, and we've got compost carers who are busy, you know, making sure that none of the weed seed goes back onto the farm and that it's all pasteurised. And we had chickens. Um, the chickens have left, but they're just about to come back. So we'll have a chicken carers program as well. So yeah, really. Uh, tell me more about the community meal because that was something that I found was was really key to inviting people in and keeping people coming in absolutely um so the the volunteering session that we hold on the third thursday of every month during daylight savings people come and work for about two hours often we've got up to sort of 50 people on site and then we've got this just amazing team of community chefs um we had a fundraiser dinner the other night and the same team of community chefs came and cooked dinner for 80 people um predominantly out of produce on the farm and you know just trying to showcase all parts of the plant. So uh, Yukaku, who's our sort of lead community chef, is um, a chef herself and passionate about not wasting any part of the plant. You know, when the farm was under green manure, she was still buying mulberry leaves to make tea and, you know, buying weed salads and all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it's really, I think, you know, food, food's a great connector. Everyone eats and 
uh, for a lot of people, like you said, you know, they might not necessarily want to be out there growing the food, but their passion is cooking it um, and preparing it for other people. So, yeah, we love to have those community meals just to reconnect everyone, all walks of life are welcome. You know, I think I sort of had this little misconception, oh, it's in the middle of the city, it'll be sort of all a bunch of, you know, young white hipsters and I couldn't be further from the truth. It's such a diverse community, you know, really interesting who you meet and the skills that they bring. Um, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely, um, you know, wonderful. And I think having been through the experience of helping set up Green Connect and then now coming to Pocket City Farms, my passions really turned to, right, we've we've done this for sort of, you know, five to seven years now. We've done all the dumb things, trust me. <laughs> we've made all the mistakes. How do we document that and get, you know, a sort of farm starter kit or something, you know, so that we can actually start having these kind of projects everywhere and move from that utopia to our reality is that we do grow food in our cities. Yeah. And one way, one way we've done that is with a young, farm, uh, a young farmer incubator program. So we have for this year trained two young farmers um, knowing that our farm manager was leaving. So one of them will take on the farm and then they'll basically train the trainer. So they'll they'll train the next lot um, and have this you know, continual program where we are actually training the farmers of the future and hopefully with our school kids coming through, inspiring them that, you know, being a farmer in the city is a, is a career prospect and something that, you know, you could think of doing in the future. Yeah, fantastic. That's so important, isn't it? And, and you know, I, I've actually noticed a bit of a change over the time because I, I bring students into, I'm just going to shut my window, there's a, someone's chopping something down out there. <laughs> um, I We bring students into our uh, into the eco village here, and and also we used to do it in in the city um, when I when I was living there, and I I used to ask people all the time, you know, who's who's thinking about becoming a farmer or wanting to do this, and no one, like I, they would sit on their hands, I think almost, but not a viable prospect. No, no, and in the unless you come from a and you've got you know big land, mm. people just don't see it as a viable career option, and it hasn't been, I think, in urban areas. And so in terms of actually creating viable urban agriculture futures and livelihoods, how would you describe that? Because it's not just growing the carrots and the lettuces because that might not just be enough just growing the vegetables. There's other dimensions to it. So for you, how would you describe, you know, a viable urban agriculture livelihood and what are you trying to share with people when you're doing these incubator programs? I think from my perspective, what I've really seen is that we often expect our urban farmers, whether they're young or whether mid-career changes, um, to do everything. So they're expected to grow the carrots and the lettuces and everything, but they're also expected to be social media and marketing gurus. They're meant to be able to, you know, find customers and keep those customers. They're meant to run volunteer sessions. They're probably at farmers markets, you know, farm gate stalls. So they're actually, you know, required to do so much and to me, having been through, you know, this startup process with, with Green Connect and then seeing the startup that the guys at Pocket City Farms went through, you know, it's this perfect recipe for burnout. So if we're able to, I think, take some of that pressure off with our young farmers that we're training and say to them, right, we've got a site for you because let me tell you, there is no shortage of land in our urban areas. Once you start running something like Pocket City Farms, people offer us land all the time. We don't necessarily have the farmers to go along with it. Um, so for me, it's about saying to them, Go, go grow the veggies. We'll find the market for you. We'll prepare all your work health and safety systems. You know, we'll we'll do your invoicing. We'll do all the boring stuff. 
we've done a lot of work. Um, my colleague Rob is an absolute wizard at, at all the tech side. So we're harvesting with QR codes now and, you know, getting those systems so that all that data is recorded, um, you know, trying to take all those difficult steps out of it and be able to say to, you know, people who are new to farming or young farmers, just, just go and get good at growing. Um, because oh, well, that's so you see, that's not just going out and doing it yourself, though. That's being part of a bigger ecology of organizations in a it way. Is, and, and that's what I'm trying to do with Pocket City Farms at the moment is go, where, where do we take that next? What does it look like? Is it, you know, a whole bunch of co- farming cooperatives that, you know, has PCF as the support? I don't, we're, we're trying to work out what that looks like at the moment. And we're really interested to hear from people who would like that support as to what would benefit them as well. So I'm not saying we have the answers at the moment, but yeah, it's, this is fascinating that. because, you know, this idea that you're actually being offered land and you don't have farmers. So they're, mm-hmm. they're right there is this huge opportunity. And if you have this community network and the, and the market and, you know, all of that all set up, all of a sudden possibilities just start to kind of open where they were not before. Absolutely. The only other missing piece I would say is there is a little bit of startup capital involved in a new site and we don't have that either. So we're looking at, you know, how, how we find that startup capital, but it's not huge. And we've floated the idea, you know, we've, uh, Rich came to us with a walk behind tractor, game changer, even on a small market garden, but we don't use it every day of the year. So if we had that on a trailer and it could go around 10, 12 different farms, suddenly you've got this, you know, really efficient, you know, sharing economy of, uh, you know, use of that equipment rather than it sitting idle for 90% of the time. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I would imagine too that if you start to get uh, a new a new site and someone's donated that site or invited you to come and use it and you put together some kind of crowdfunding that's linked with all this whole sort of bigger picture, that quite quickly you'd be able to generate that funds through a crowdfunder as well, I would imagine, because there's already that support there. It's not yeah. starting right from the very get-go again. Although I think coming back to when, you know what you touched on earlier, I think that's wouldn't that be amazing if that was where local governments were starting to put that priority and say, you know what, we will come up with the startup capital if you can get it up and running. Um, so, yeah. I'm, urban I'm, agriculture grants. And, and, you know, I remember I you know, really we now fun. have community garden grants in Brisbane. Yeah. So this, it's just the next logical step, really, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and it, but it does require them to have some kind of policy in place, which was why it was important. We worked with local government in Brisbane to create this urban um, sort of the community garden policy. And in in the Illawarra as well, a lot of work was done by some amazing people at council to get those community garden policies to, to, you know, to be able to say, yes, you know, we'll we'll enable that instead of us always having to work outside the system. There's a shift that needs to happen because the community gardens is it's a community project and it's not about selling the produce. It's about sharing and working together. As soon as, soon as it starts to become something where people are, are buying produce from a place, there's something that shifts in, in the local government's um, perspective on what it is. And so I think that that's a really important part. And, and I also really like the idea too of really contemplating the possibilities of urban land urban um, agriculture land trusts because there's a lot of land in and around urban areas that gets put for um, bushland trusts, like, you know, rewilding areas. We could mm-hmm. just as well identify where that best agricultural land is and and if the local government or the state government could help to purchase that land and that be available for urban agriculture, seeing that bigger picture of the of the resilience and robustness of our urban communities. For Absolutely. And I think there's a fairly big piece of work to be done in mapping that out 
um, because, you know, Sydney Water have got land, Um, you know, sometimes universities have got land, you know, there's there's Department of Education, there's lots of lots of land. Once once you kind of, you know, what I've loved about permaculture is once you start walking around with a permaculture lens, you're like, oh, look at all that lawn. (laughs) And someone like like Manu's doing amazing stuff with Farm It Forward, where people are literally saying, you know, I've got a backyard I'm not using, farm it. Um, So I think, you know, it's not not a one size fits all model, but there's certainly work to be done in mapping that out. And yeah, getting it, you know, really on on the agenda as a government priority. Yeah. I really like just going back to your utopias. I I was I interviewed um Rupert Reed, uh, who was part of the XR movement a while back. He sort of stepped aside from that now and he's talking, um, he was talking about through topias. He said, you know, we have this notion that we've got this dystopian future, or we you know, we stepped back and thought, oh, we want to create a utopian future. What we need to focus on now are the throughtopias. What are the stories? What are the skills? What are the possibilities to help us get through these difficult times? Because it's constantly changing. We can't really see what's going to happen in five years' time, but if we have the robustness and the resilience and the the skills we need to work through this, um, so that's like, you know, permaculture is a throughtopian. I've learned two new words from you today, Morag. I love Activism and throughtopias, they'll, they'll be in my back pocket from now on. Yeah, but, look, I think they're fantastic words and I use them all the time. And as well as as well as myceliate, you know, we myceliate uh, yeah. as community organisations and, you know, and that's where the, a lot of the power of these urban agriculture movements is that it's not this visible force of an organisation um, applying something. It is this network of people being inspired and, and um, connected and Absolutely. it's everywhere you look. You just need to scratch the surface and there you see those mycelial threads connecting and supporting and feeding one another. I've always said, you know, to come right back to the start to permablitz, you know, if if we have to start an urban farm somewhere tomorrow, you know, all the trucks have stopped, I've got a group of swale diggers who are already trained up. You know, I've got a, you know, group who can no dig like no tomorrow with any materials on hand. So, yeah, we've we've, we've got those people. It's just about, you know, making those connections yeah. And I do, I love that idea. You know, when I, uh, we ran a, a, a permaculture design course at Pocket City Farms this year as well, which I led. And, um, you know, most people come to you going, I want to know how to grow food, one. So we have to, you know, set, set that expectation pretty early. We're not going to be learning that much about growing food. We're going to learn how to change the world instead. Um, and then also, you know, people really focused on well, when I get five acres, you know, when I can sustainably you know properly what can be self-sufficient and so what I hope by the end of an urban agriculture focused PDC is that people are like oh wow we can do this right here right now and get on with it and I don't need that five acres that I thought I did. Yeah that's right and it it's such a shift isn't it and I, I, I see that often as well and also putting a limitation like well I can't do it now I'll get to it maybe when I retire or I'll I'll get to it later on because I can't afford to move out yet or I can't I just don't have that possibility of doing that. But particularly with this focus on working together and bring whatever skills and wherever we are, the the, the change is totally possible. And and a focus on doing this in our urban areas where most of Australia lives yep. is absolutely essential. And, you know, I get people turning up, they don't own a car because they live, you know, they're probably living more sustainably in, in some ways than that person on, on five acres because, you know, they're riding everywhere, they're walking, you know, they've got access to public transport. You know, I think the, the work needs to be done in our cities and we've got people who actually love living in cities. There's, there's so many, you know, benefits of being able to connect with so many people with employment, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's, yeah, it's a really interesting shift. 
to yeah. suddenly look at, yeah, you know, how do we eat those cities, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me in conversation today about urban agriculture and the multiple different ways in which you've been involved in, in creating it and spreading it and sharing it and, and um, experimenting. And I think this is the thing too, isn't it? Like it's not a fixed and done thing with a whole set of experts. There's a lot of people who are just really playing with this idea, trying to find out what it means, how it works, talking to other people, you know, cherry-picking different ideas and Absolutely. Sort of putting and it all in the soup where you are and seeing what happens. And um, and if there's anything that those of us who just have that little bit more experience can do to help, I always say to the students at the end of a PDC, you know, reach out, we need to fast-track this. You don't have time like me to sit back and for 10 years go, oh, should I be a teacher or not? Yeah, just do, do it. it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And step up. And, you know, that's the and thing. And ask for help and step up. Yeah. Yeah, step up and speak up and do what you can and then if you feel confident one way then and but not in somewhere else find someone else who can do that bit and as as that team you can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, well thank, thank you so much. It's lovely to talk all things urban ag and yeah. uh, We've got a few events at Pocket City Farms that hopefully I'll get up on the website very soon. Yeah, great. Yeah, so is that all for part of Urban Agriculture Month? Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll certainly be having our regular volunteering and working be listed as Urban Agriculture Month, and I think we're hopefully going to have an in-conversation session with Rosemary Morrow and her amazing new book. Oh, brilliant. Yes, us, which so. I seem to have right here next to me. <laughs> oh, how convenient. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, isn't that a gift, that book? Oh, um, Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely what's needed for right now as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. All right. Well, I'll, for everyone who's listening, I'll drop all the links that we talked about down below and um, further information about how you can find Jackie and Pocket City Farms and all the different projects. And, um, yeah, thank you so, so very much. It's been an absolute delight chatting with you today. Absolute, absolute pleasure. I'm going to go off and um, look at some more Thrutopias. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thanks.